Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti, and today I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez, um, sociologist uh, specializing in sex and intimacy, specifically in women, um, and also author of From Madness to Mindfulness, Reinventing Sex for Women. Uh, Dr. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I can't wait to see what we're going to dive into here. <laughs> oh, me too. I'm really, really excited about this topic. Uh, but before kind of we dive into it, um, could you just tell us a little more about what you do? Yeah. So yeah, like you said, so my PhD is in sociology and I specialized in um, studying relationships, sexual health, education, communication, marriages, and sex. And, um, but I've been out of academia for a long time now. And what I've created for myself is I have a private practice where I help individuals and couples around all of these topics, including body image and gender role socialization. And uh, my real passion is traveling and public speaking and talking to audience of all different ages about these topics and different aspects of these topics. And um, you mentioned my book. I have a couple podcasts myself. Um, I've had, you know, a video series. Um, just big picture around trying to shift our social norms and communication around sex and emotional intimacy, because most societies carry a lot of baggage around these topics, and they're taboo to talk about in an open way. And so at the core of all my work, whether I'm working with an individual or college students or CEOs and their partners for a Valentine's event, uh, there's four main factors that underlie all my work, and that's mindfulness, compassion, vulnerability, and authenticity. And I integrate that into all of my work because I think those are a balance of those four factors are really important for most of us to be able to experience the type of intimacy with ourselves and intimacy with others that we most want. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like I, it's very rare to find a person who is comfortable with the idea of sex and at peace with it. I feel like it's something yeah. that as people we deal with, um, we are uncomfortable with. Speaking of which, if you are uncomfortable uh, with today's topic, because <laughs> yeah. we are going to be going into explicit themes, uh, maybe check out another episode instead. Um, or, or... <laughs> Stick around because I'm going to talk about mindfulness and applied mindfulness and how to learn to have greater comfort with discomfort that we have around these topics. Because when, you know, we avoid them or we're afraid of them or we've inherited that from society or, or we've had bad experiences, um, that then has power over us. And we can learn over time how to, how to stay present with uncomfortable yeah. sensations and actually build resilience that way. 
So yeah, I'm going to sure. say the opposite. <laughs> I think it's definitely worth in sticking around. I do agree with you, but perhaps <laughs> no, maybe I know wait. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. For some people, they might have to wait till they're ready um, to tackle yeah. this one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, listen to yeah. it in little bits. Yeah. Or listen to it with a friend and then discuss it. Stop it and discuss along the way. That's a, a little really podcast club. To- yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That'd be cute. Um, all right. So before we kind of dive into the main topic of today, which is about emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy and the link between the two, um, we have a segment called Have You Met Dr. Jen? In which I ask you a bunch of questions about yourself and you just have to okay. very quickly answer them. You don't need to think too hard on them. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready? So this is all about me. I am answering yes. about me. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right what is your favorite book um my um what can I say my book <laughs> yeah sure I mean, no I don't cool. honestly recently I've been into like reading summer romance chick lit books that all take place in like Nantucket <laughs> so those are my favorite books right now <laughs> chick lit is not it's not my thing but I understand how healing it can be sometimes you just yeah. need to like escape well and it's and they're always about like strong female characters with you know good jobs and but they're trying to find their love life <laughs> it may resonate with me a little bit <laughs> <laughs> So, tell us okay. I'm no now I need to ask what is happening with your love life <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you ask because I literally just released a new podcast called trying to feel sexy again at 48 right right and which I'm actually 49 now but a year ago I ended up um putting myself through this kind of spontaneous seven-day sexual energy challenge because I was right. single and it was still pandemic times and I was feeling yeah. so not sexy. And, yeah. and I'm, you know, at 48, I live in a really young and beautiful uh, beach town in San Diego. And so it's like, most people are like 25 and it's year round. People are on the oh, beach. No. And yeah. so it's like, it just, you know, definitely was doing a number on my mojo. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I put myself through this challenge and then I chronicled all of it. And then I've just turned it into a storytelling podcast <laughs> right now. So, uh, folks can learn a lot more than they ever need to know about me if they want to listen to uh, trying to feel sexy again at 48. So, well, if yeah. you really want to get to know Dr. Jen, you can yeah, exactly. listen exactly. to the podcast. Um, but I might just move on uh, to your favorite yeah. movie. Uh, favorite movie? Um, well, I'm going old school. Like my favorite movie when I was a kid uh, was the sound of music. I love that and singing to it. And my sister and I had a little Mickey mouse record player and we would listen to the record on that and just sing the songs all the time. So yeah, yeah. that's my favorite musical too. Um, I grew up with that. My mom used to sing me the songs all the time. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what about your favorite podcast? Oh my gosh. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd have to say the daily by the New York times that Mm -hmm. really got me through COVID times. Um, there's a great one called, um, Huberman lab. He's a Stanford researcher and it's so interesting about all the latest research on sleep and hormones and, um, attraction and exercise and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, I kind of nerd out at that one. Um, (laughs) Oh, I could keep listing them, but I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> two two very good ones. Um, yeah. Do you have a famous role model that you look up to? Ooh. Uh, mm, this was, I, I don't feel like I have anybody current that comes to mind, but in the past, 
Um, I was really involved with it. I don't know if your listeners uh, will know, but the vagina monologues um, used to be a traveling play. Okay. A lot of folks like in the United States at this point, if folks are like under 25 or something, a lot of them have never heard of it at this point. So, but I was super involved with that acting in it and directing it at various different like nonprofits and universities, but the creator of that Eve Emsler, and she started um, the playwright. She wrote that play as a way of, you know, talking about what we're not talking about, about women's sexuality and looking at the pain and the exploitation, but also looking at pleasure and fun. And so, and, and then she was just out in the world doing a lot of um, work with women in lower income countries and women in countries where women are really oppressed and um, war torn um, and just really walking the talk. So I think that's somebody that's been out there just has done so much fundraising and so much good around these topics over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid one, especially for the topic, I guess we're covering today. Yeah. Um, definitely yeah, something yeah. to look into. Um, what's the last course you completed? Uh, well, I'm going to put this in the category, of course, <laughs> it's a book I read and I taught it to myself, stand up comedy, because <laughs> I wanted to learn like comedy writing. And then I read this whole right. book and I did all the activities and, um, it was really hard, but it's like really fun. I was like, I totally yeah. want to do that now. Um, I feel like I just signed up for a course, but I haven't taken it yet. Okay. So that's why I can't answer that question. And it's been a right. little while. Um, since I've done another one. So I'll, right, I'll go yeah. with books. <laughs> Stand-up comedy course. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that ends our segment. Uh, we have gotten to know you, of course. Uh, you can get to know you better by listening to your podcast. But for now, um, this will suffers. Uh, we might move on, I guess, to our interview segment where we talk a bit more about in- emotional intimacy, which is our topic for today. Yeah. Um, but I guess starting right at the very beginning, what is a relationship? How would you define or describe a relationship? I mean, in, in like big picture relationship between any, any folks would just be a, a connection between two people. That's more than just, you know, passing on the street, like some sort of connection. Um, you know, and then if you're, if it's a, like a romantic relationship, um, or something seriously, then that would be more like somebody that you have a physical, a mental, an emotional, deeper Mm -hmm. connection with than you do with other folks. So, and obviously there's some, you know, variety within that, but in general, that's how I would define relationship. Right, right. Um, In your opinion, like, you know, does a romantic relationship still hold the same structure now that it did maybe a few decades ago? Mm. Such a good question. I love that as a sociologist too, because we're continuing to see, you know, in the past, I mean, I could say in the United States in the past 100 and 100 years, 100, more like 120 years, 140 years, like we've seen massive shifts in, in that relationships didn't used to be so based on romance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were based on economics and practicality and having families and, and, and supporting all of yourselves. And so I think it was really more in like the 1920s or so. So probably about a hundred years ago that we started getting introduced to a much more romantic version of mm-hmm. sex. And then what we've had in the past, um, I'd say several decades is this idea that you're supposed to find a partner they're supposed to be your soulmate. Uh, they're supposed to complete you in all aspects. They're supposed to be your best friend. Uh, you're yeah. supposed to love them. They're supposed to be able to read your mind. Uh, you know, they should be the 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 parent. You know, the co-parent of your children. 
you should die old together and you, the sex should be amazing and passion <laughs> should stay there the entire time you know yeah. and then and then the, and you should share hobbies with them also like pretty much everything that's pretty much impossible and that's a yeah. lot of pressure to put on a relationship and to put on another human being Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they're definitely, you were saying has, does it have the same meaning structure and importance? I mean, as humans, we're all, we're innately social creatures. Mm-hmm. And one of the most amazing ways to be social with another human being is to be in a vulnerable, committed relationship with them. Yeah. So yeah. that, you know, has it, that we've had that for a long time. You know, it feels really good. And for somebody to have your back or somebody to yeah. grow old with or yeah. somebody to raise children with. So, um, you know, I think some of the fundamental aspects are the same, but otherwise, like it's changed massively. Mm-hmm. Also, because we have, you know, polyamory and open relationships and polypods and and just our structure of relationships. Not that that didn't exist, but it's become much more popular um, and more mainstream, especially with younger generations. Mm-hmm. So great question. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, uh, we've moved away from heteronormity quite a, heteronormativity, sorry, quite a bit as well. Yeah. I think people are a lot more open to viewing relationships outside of that lens. Yeah. 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 That is, yeah. It's not this male, female strict, you know, and, and right. And that you only have sex with marriage and you get married to have mm-hmm. kids and, and all of that, that rigidness and that structure, we have um, so much flexibility. Now, it certainly depends on what country you're in or even what yeah. part of what country that you're in. Um, but certainly like a place where I live, like in Southern California, there's a, a whole lot more flexibility around gender, sexuality, uh, and, and relationship type and structure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so within relationships, how would you define emotional intimacy? Mm. Well, I like, you know, like when I'm giving a talk and I talk about intimacy, I like to break it down into into me, you see. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that is because I think a lot of people, when they hear the word intimacy, uh, they may default to be like, oh, that means sex. Yeah. Um, and and when I use intimacy, I mean, in a big picture way mm-hmm. and emotional intimacy is a part of that. So to me, emotional intimacy is it's about being raw and real and vulnerable and, um, you know, allowing, you know, taking your walls down. We all have, you know, walls of protection and facade up because we've been hurt or we're afraid of being judged. Uh, We have been judged. Um, We're afraid of messing somebody up. We're afraid of being rejected. And so to me at the heart of emotional intimacy is letting those walls down. And it's, it's scary. It's like really scary um, and and creating a safe space for someone else to do that as well and being able to create that space for each other. And um, it's like the scariest thing, but it's like one of the most beautiful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're willing and able to be vulnerable with each other like that, like we we feel closer, we trust them more, we feel more connected. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think often we feel more confident and stronger because we're like, wow, somebody, somebody saw me in all my messiness and they yeah. still like me and they still yeah. choose me. It's For amazing. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like we're so uncomfortable with ourselves. Um, so to have someone else see all of who you are and then like mm-hmm. be okay with it is so validating. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. It feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, how do you feel emotional intimacy affects a relationship? 
Well, um, I mean, it's almost endless in what it could do. Yeah. So if you have emotional intimacy or you have the lack of emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen couples over the years that um, they get together and neither of them are comfortable being vulnerable. And, or maybe, or maybe they grew up in households where their parents, they had very stoic parents Mm -hmm. um, or emotionally distant parents. Mm -hmm. And then that's how they knew to be. And then they found a partner who then didn't challenge that and didn't make them feel uncomfortable. But often, especially in today's society, often at some point down the road, something's going to blow that up. Um, and that somebody's going to cheat or somebody's going to be like, Oh, I'm done here. I just, I don't even love you. Or like the kids are out of the house and why are we doing this? And so, because there isn't those ongoing conversations. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, um, emotional intimacy is hard. Um, but you know where you stand, you know, where your partner stands and you're like a team in that way, working together and then being like, Hey, this isn't really working for me. Like, um, what can we do? How can we work together to shift this? to grow, Mm -hmm. to learn something new. Or when we're having conversations like this, I notice I'm really triggered and I want to stop doing that, but can you bring it up this way instead? And then I'm going to hang in there and do my best to stay in this. You know, all of that is just like raw, messy, honest, um, emotional communication. But, you know, and I think a key part of it is, um, is owning it. Like we need to own instead of like projecting it on someone else or blaming someone else or just being like, Hey, this is what's showing up for me. And so, you know, there's couples that could be discussing emotions a lot or displaying emotions a lot, but I I don't know that I'd call that emotional intimacy because uh, they're not being responsible with it and they're not creating the safe space for their partner Mm -hmm. uh, to, to really show up and let their walls down. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, you mentioned earlier, um, like we often expect our romantic partners to read our minds. Um, but <laughs> right. would you kind yeah. of say that emotional intimacy is getting rid of that notion that they can read our minds mm. and like telling them That's about us? I mean, I would call that I would call that emotional maturity. Okay. Um, for sure. Well, the funny thing is, right, the more we practice knowing ourselves and articulating what's going on for us um, and being responsible with that and then allowing our partners to do the same, we get more attuned to ourselves and we actually get more attuned to our partners. So it almost does help you read their mind more, although you're not reading their mind, but you could tell something's off. You could be like, Hey, like what? Like, cause I, you know, I know when I talk to couples and I'm helping them with their sex lives, um, they'll be like, yeah, like, you know, a, a boyfriend. And I can think of this one example. He was like, yeah, we like shift positions and I did something. And then like, she just felt stiff and like the energy shifted. He goes, so I just stopped. And I said, Hey, what's like, what's going on? Like, are are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I got caught in my head and you move me in this position. I was, I was just wondering what my body was going to look like, you know, and she got all in her head about body image stuff. And, but then, but that the fact that they were able to talk about it and be vulnerable together, um, kept them connected in intimacy you know, and gave them an emotional intimacy there. So um, it all feeds itself. And it does, we, we do become more attuned. Um, but we have to know, we can't always know what's behind it, right? We can't actually read their mind. Like you can, you can notice subtle differences. And I think that's super valuable to point out and let your partner know like, hey, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but I know something's going on. And then giving your partner the space to share what's going on for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess... Now, you also specialize in sexual intimacy. So what does mm-hmm. that look like in a relationship? What would you call, how would you define a sexually intimate relationship? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's like the piece of what we're talking about here of this, this version of intimacy, um, but bringing it to specific physical and sexual interactions and arousal and desire and pleasure and orgasm and play um, and, you know, and whatever you want to bring into your sexual encounter. So it's bringing this level of rawness, openness, vulnerability, authenticity, um, intentionally bringing that to a sexual encounter with your partner. And or if you do notice that you feel disconnected, like maybe stopping things or talking about it afterwards and be like, hey, can we talk about this? So maybe in the moment you feel like you just kind of shut down or you detach or something. Um, but then afterwards being like, hey, you didn't do anything wrong, but I noticed this is what's going on for me. Can we talk about this? Right, that would yeah. be, you know, a way of, because it's hard. Oh, it's hard to talk about this stuff in the moment. And it's hard to do it well in the moment, you know, because we don't, we don't want to shame our partners either, you know, because most of us have experienced some sort of shame with our bodies or in a sexual encounter. And so when we're practicing being emotionally vulnerable in that way and just saying what we want to say, um, it doesn't always come out great <laughs> in a way that's not maybe hurtful to our partners. So maybe that's not the exact right moment. So maybe you bring it up another time and you can be mindful and kind um, in the way that you're discussing what was going on. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Now, one of, I guess one of the questions on my list is um, what is the difference between the two and is one more important than the other? But it seems like mm. they're kind of the same. It seems like they're not that different. It's just that sexual yeah, intimacy is I like mean, a it's, form. Well, it's, so, yeah, it's a, that's a good, interesting question. So like when I, when I use the term intimacy, I generally mean like I talk about it in a big picture. So I talk about mm. physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, mental intimacy, social intimacy, and potentially spiritual intimacy. So this very mm. holistic thing, you know, the, the, you know, underlying it all is this, raw, <laughs> you know, vulnerable authenticity and showing up in that way, um, depending on what you're talking about, whether you're sharing ideas or political views or spiritual beliefs or, you know, meditating together or, yeah. or, you know, having oral sex, you know, all of the things. So mm -hmm. it is about being present and, and real and connecting from that place. Um, yeah. And then, you know, when you have the sexual piece, it's, it's just laden with so much more fear of judgment and stigma and shame and embarrassment and like, and our bodies make weird noises and we're afraid we're not going to perform well enough. And, yeah. or I, am I taking too long or what's my body look like at this angle? So, oh, you know, there's just so much more on top mm -hmm. of it. And so, you know, sexual intimacy has a whole nother depth to it to stay open in this way and, and, and to be cultivating the emotional intimacy part of it as well. Mm -hmm. What in your experience have been the issues people have had in getting intimate? You touched on it a little in that, you know, yeah. their parents might've just yep. been that way, but like, so some of it, yeah. So some of it is personality. We all have genetic personality differences to some extent that we're born with. So it could be some of that. It's what was modeled for us as kids growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like I, yeah, I mentioned before very, you know, some cultures are much more emotionally stoic. Um, some folks are just emotionally distant. Um, you know, how safe you felt in your household. Um, did you grow up with an alcoholic parent and then we're sort of walking on eggshells that can cause a lot of anxiety 
um, you know, sometimes if you had parents with a, a mental illness and that you were then kind of had to be the adult and taking care of them, um, all of these things. And then, and then early experiences, you know, that you had in dating and relationships, um, what you were taught about sex or not taught about it, how much shame you were taught about it, how you feel about your body. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's almost endless. <laughs> and then all of those things. And then, you know, and then we show up in front of another human being. Um, and, and then, you know, at its best, we bear our souls, but like, Oh, that's a lot of things to bear. And it just, it viscerally feels scary and uncomfortable or inappropriate. And a lot of times, and like, I'm pointing, I don't, you can't necessarily see right now, but I'm like pointing to my chest and my solar plexus and like down in my belly, like, Oh my gosh, that is where we feel so much. Um, and, and anytime we feel those things, whether it's shame or fear of judgment, um, it feels so bad. Most of us have automatic triggers um, in place, like patterns in place then to not feel that anymore. So we shut down the conversation. We change the topic. We pour another shot of tequila. I live in San Diego. There's a lot of tequila. here. Um, we, we blame the other person for bringing the topic up. We, we turn the topic around, we brush it under the rug and ignore it. I mean, there's so many things we do to not stay present and because there's so many things that we've learned along the way that make it feel not safe to be vulnerable with another person. And, and like, and that is literally like we feel it inside us. It's a, it's a very scary feeling. And depending on how, I'm going to say conservative of an upbringing you had around emotions and or sex topics, um, some things can just feel deeply inappropriate. And that's mm. a, that's like a very deep, like, like tapping into your worthiness. And whether you're a good person or a bad person, like it hits us at those deepest, like fundamental levels of how we view ourselves and how we think others are viewing us. So yeah, you can see, you can just carry two of those things and that just, you know, makes you want to shut down, let alone that most of us carry a whole host of a combination of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, say for example, a viewer is kind of watching or listening in, um, to this episode and feels like perhaps you might be describing them (laughs) in that answer that you just gave, uh, what would they be able to do to kind of start to unpack that? Like, where do they even begin? Because I feel like that, I feel like that's such a difficult task. Yeah. So as a sociologist, I always like to start with having people reflect on what they did learn growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, and even like I have some exercise in my book, each chapter ends with um, like you can literally fill it in the book like it's like a, a worksheet type things so you can answer the questions. And yeah. so but the type of things is because we don't realize like, you know, we're taught that like sex and relationships and, and all of this is just normal and natural. But mm-hmm. we are from birth socialized into what is quote unquote normal and natural. And that varies by person to person, family, society. Um, And it's, we learn what's appropriate. Uh, We're socialized into what's appropriate and what's not. And often we're socialized into things that are not good for us. They're not healthy for us. They don't make us feel good. They don't help us connect with others well, excuse Mm -hmm. me, and to know ourselves well. So the starting point is to do some writing, some journaling on what did I first hear about sex? What did I learn about bodies? Um, what was modeled for me around relationships? What were emotions safe to express in my household? Um, which ones were and which ones weren't? 
Um, who was it? Who was a, a role model for me? Did I have any role models? Um, you know, early experiences around masturbation, um, early experiences just being exposed to pornography or, or any sexual material. Uh, getting like writing, like, you know, just writing it out because often people have aha moments just by doing that. Cause they're like, Oh my gosh, wait, that totally started when I was 12. And, and then to realize and be like, wait, somebody taught that to me or somebody said that to me, or that was someone else's, I'm going to say bullshit story that they imposed on me and their belief systems. And now I've looked at myself through that lens for the past 20 years and that is not serving me. And to realize that we can write new narratives for ourselves mm-hmm. because the ones that were given to us are, aren't, aren't so great um, and they aren't making us happy. And to realize, okay, that's someone else's BS. That's societal BS. That's religious BS. Mm-hmm. Um, start, you know, creating some new stories for yourself that, um, that, that nurture your soul um, and that give you a chance to um, have a happier future. So, but it all starts with reflecting on what did I learn and where did I learn it and what's not serving me anymore. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I guess once you've kind of, or maybe you're starting to do the work, um, if you want to be emotionally intimate with your partner, how would you go about doing that? Yeah. So, I mean, so I've, I've kind of mentioned mindfulness in passing some here. And so, and you know, mindfulness at its core is is learning to be present in the moment uh, and noticing what's happening inside of you and what's happening outside of you and and learning to choose to stay present with it and then ideally not judge it, kind of observe it. Um, I like to throw in also to mindfulness is actually to really be kind to ourselves in the process and kind to others. Like I bring in the compassion piece because when we are studying what's happening inside us, what we're thinking what our emotions are, what we're feeling inside our bodies. Um, it, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> There's a reason we haven't stayed in those moments before. Yeah. And so learning to do that, it's really important to pat ourselves on the back and to be kind to ourselves in this mm-hmm. process uh, because it, it can be very uncomfortable. And so I like to use, so, um, I've got a little, for our viewing audience, they can see this little model that I have, but I'll explain it to our uh, listening audience. So it's a triangle that I'm holding up and um, it's got a big smiley face in the middle, which matters. And um, at the top of the triangle, it says thoughts Um, on one side of the bottom triangle, it says emotions. And on the other side, it says bodily sensations. And then there's arrows pointing on all three sides of the triangle feeding each other. And so this is the primary basic mindfulness tool that I use uh, with my clients, um, because so like, for example, say, um, say your partner comes up to you, um, and you have a great relationship, a respectful relationship, you and your partner love each other. And your partner comes up to you and says, um, Hey, yeah, I noticed it's been like six months or so since we've had sex, you know, can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. And they say it in a very responsible way, you know? And so if you're, do you apply this triangle, your first thing might be, you know, the bodily sensation, you might feel like a clenching, like in your gut um, or a dropping feeling. And your thought might be like, oh shit, they're totally right. Like I had no idea it's been that long. And then maybe you feel your heart pounding and you feel some anxiety in your chest area. And, and then, and then your thought is, well, yeah, but I've been super busy with this project and they know that. And then, you know, and you feel a little guilt 
Um, but then you, then you go into like a little anger and then you could feel that as like a ball, a, you know, a heavy ball in your chest and you feel anger, which then feels powerful. So we feel better. And then you're like, you lash out at your partner for even bringing it up. So that's right, like to yeah. move around the three sides of this triangle of our thoughts, our interpretations, the meaning it has to us, the emotions that we're carrying. And then literally, where do you feel that in your body from your gut to your solar plexus? up to your throat, up to your head, feeling fuzzy, you're tensing your muscles. Um, and because what this does, it's called the triangle of awareness. It, when we could start applying, it's hard to catch ourselves in the moment, but you could then afterwards, you know, I tell people to hang this triangle up where they brush their teeth at nighttime and then reflect on their day. Oh, was there a time that I was reactive? Was there a time that I shut down emotionally? Was was I driving in traffic and started yelling at people? That's a good one. Uh, you know, was there any time that I uh, like wasn't in control of my emotions and just reacted without choosing how I want to respond? And then reflecting and be like, oh, okay, what what were my emotions? What was my interpretation? What meaning did it have to me? Where did I feel any sensations inside my body? And what we do then is, over time, we can learn to create space and time where there wasn't space and time before. So, cause we all get triggered with stuff and we're off to the races um, with mm-hmm. a, how, whatever our, you know, pr- brain is most efficiently wired to react to something uncomfortable. And th- a mindfulness practice like this can help us pull apart the pieces of it and unpack it and then, and then sit with it. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh wow. I just noticed, you know, so like, you know, for example, in that example, the partner brings that up and you're like, yeah, 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 it's been six months. <laughs> You're right. And I'm feeling really crappy inside me right now mm-hmm. about that. I know that's not your intent, but I'm feeling sort of icky and in my solar plexus. And I have this fear that you're going to leave me or cheat on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also realizing that it feels unfair because I've been super busy and you know that. But I also know that it's not fair to you. And this is one of your love languages and how you connect. Like that's what we can get to the point that we can do that in the moment. But we need to practice it. (laughs) And it takes a lot of unpacking. You know, I've been practicing this for like 18 years. So like what I just said is literally something I can do in relationships and dating situations. I mean, less so (laughs) once I'm on my second glass of wine. However, (laughs) otherwise, but because, but I've, and it's super vulnerable to do, but it's like, you really get to get to the heart of the matter and talk about the exact topic at hand, not all of this other baggage you've Mm. brought to the table. Mm. So, and like in this triangle, I was showing in the center, I have a big smiley face because that's the part of being compassionate and kind to ourselves. Because sometimes people will be like, well, I'm studying all this stuff and I feel like shit now. And I'm like, (laughs) no, no, now you need to to complete it. And by being like patting yourself on the back, having pride for yourself, that you had the courage to do this, that like you just sat for 30 seconds and felt all of these things that maybe you haven't felt in 15 years because it's it's scary and it's hard and you didn't know you could do something different. It takes a lot of courage. Um, and then, so yeah, or just be kind to yourself, like feel warmth and compassion towards yourself. You're like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. Let me have a sense of kindness and nurturing towards myself because of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense for sure. And I like, we will dive into, um, that triangle, I guess in our practice segment. 
I've got one final question. Oh, did I jump ahead, sex? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think it's, I'm glad you brought it up now because that means I, I have so many questions with regards to it. So that's great. Okay. But I good. guess like one final question is, you know, you mentioned um, that you bring this or you, you bring this mindset to like dates. Um, how, yeah. how do you deal with, how do you broach the idea of being emotionally intimate early, that early in the relationship? I don't, I mean, I do it by practicing what I preach, right. Um, by, by talking about, you know, tough topics and by saying, yeah, you know, or like, you know, like I'm 49, I'm going to turn 50 next March. And that's freaking me out, especially after going through a pandemic and, um, you know, and just sharing like tough things, but not in a way of like in a way of just, of just being emotionally honest, but not in a way of like oversharing and burdening somebody right, uh, with yeah. my stuff. Cause like, that's sometimes kind of the version we have, especially like on social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes it can almost like on social media, it could be like performance vulnerability because they are trying to get something from somebody. So you're not trying to get anything, um, from somebody. And it is just like a, a showing up honestly and, um, uh, being like, Oh yeah, this is something I'm struggling with. What's going on with you? Or, um, and I'll, I'll ask questions too. Like, well, you know, what do you love most about your work and what do you struggle the most with? Or, you know, somebody's a parent, you know, I'll ask those questions. Like what's been the most, you know, best surprise about being a parent? And like, what's been a struggle that you had no idea. And so like, I also just, I facilitate questions like that. I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not great at small talk as you can probably <laughs> guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I model it also. So I just, but like, I'm, it's not like being over negative. Um, it's not oversharing. I don't, it, it's, it's awareness of boundaries. I mean, at least I think because I'm practiced in this, like I, it, in me, it feels like it's coming from strength. Now, if I'm on a first date with somebody and immediately, and, and I, I'm heterosexual, so I'm dating men. And, um, if somebody's not like trustworthy or doesn't feel emotionally safe, or I don't think is, is worthy of my vulnerability, um, I, I won't, I won't go there. I'll ask them yeah. tons of questions and I might answer some stuff more superficially, but like they, you know, people do need to be worthy of that in terms of their ability to handle us and who we really are. Um, and that they're able to not react from their own stuff, you yeah. know, cause sometimes people do that and then they make you feel worse <laughs> for sharing what you did. So, so I think for me, it's just real conversations of what it is to be as we all are humans <laughs> trying to trying to be happy and trying to do the best we can in this world and trying to have meaningful connections with other humans and just speaking from that very human place yeah so. for sure yeah i'm Good the question. same as you by the way i can't do small talk either i just find it's a distraction it's <laughs> <laughs> like get to the point right. i know we're like no no let's let's dive into the crazy heavy stuff <laughs> exactly um so i guess moving on to our practice segment you've already showed us the triangle um, yep. which is, uh, really cool. Um, what do you feel are kind of three good things about this practice? Yeah. About the triangle. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I could approach that in a lot of different ways, but I think I'm, I'm going to look at it as, and I, I've already been sort of saying this in passing, but just to put it in a, a structured context for listeners. Mm-hmm. I mean, one, we all have inherited things from our family and, um, and carry emotional, relational, sexual baggage and or negative belief systems or fears or insecurities in some way. Yeah. And 
So in one way, using the triangle um, is like you do that journaling, you know, that exercise I said, like, where did you learn all of this stuff? Have the triangle sitting next to you when you do that. You're like, what is my belief around this? What meaning does it have? Where do I feel this inside of me? Like, where does it live inside of me? Um, You're going to get a lot of insights into yourself. So in one way, um, it's a helpful practice in unpacking our childhood um, and our teen years. Yeah. Um, and that is just invaluable. I mean, cause I've even done exercises with folks where they realize like, oh my gosh, at 12 years old, this thing happened, I, you know, say I was, you know, uh, sexually abused by an uncle or something like that. And then, mm-hmm. and then my mom didn't really believe me and told me not to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And so obviously we cannot undo that, but when somebody gets really clear on that and like where it lives in them, you know, I could have them do an exercise, I mean, different clearing exercises, but one where they actually write a letter now to their 12 year old self and say all of the things um, that was never said to them. Like, um, I believe you, uh, you didn't deserve that. You didn't do anything wrong. That person was wrong. You're, you're beautiful and amazing. And, you know, and all of these things, I like, I'm even making up the scenario right now and I can feel chills down my yeah, arm. Because I that can feel that too. I'm like, that powerful. would be so- Yeah. Such an emotional time as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, and to realize you can actually, in a way, almost go back and travel in time because all that stuff still lives in you. And now you're giving you the emotional support and the mental support that you didn't get. And I mean, generally when people do exercise, like they just start sobbing and sobbing and then, but like Mm -hmm. something opens up and they, they have now new possibilities in their current relationships. So, um, so that's, you know, one thing is to go back in that way um, and, and, you know, unpack the past. Second is, you know, we all have, have just relationship communication triggers, you know, and I've already been talking about some of those. And so using the triangle can help us catch ourselves in the moment or after the fact and come back and be like, Hey, so, you know, you, you just said, Hey, uh, don't forget to take the trash out. And I totally lashed out at you. That was not an unreasonable thing for you to say. (laughs) And I realized that I lashed out because it felt my interpretation is that you were being condescending and controlling. And that's totally what my dad did to me when I was growing up or whatever, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. but you get to, you get to catch yourself in the moment and now you get to make new choices. And you can literally, like I tell folks, like bring the triangle up to the partner and be like, something's going on between us. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to start with the triangle and talk through what I'm feeling and interpreting from my side. I'd love if you do the same. Um, Cause then like you got rid of all the BS and you're really getting to the heart of whatever's going on, which is normally our interpretations and our emotions, <laughs> pretty much what's always going on. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and then the other piece is, and then explicitly, and I also mentioned this in passing, is that then you can apply this mindful presence and awareness specifically to sexual uh, situations mm-hmm. um, and be, you know, in the bedroom with some, or it doesn't have to be the bedroom, it could be the car, it could be the kitchen, <laughs> yep. be anywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, could be a forest outside your house. Sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but in a, a sexual encounter and like, and that's particularly where we're going to notice body image stuff, performance concerns. You know, if if anybody is having concerns around, you know, having erections or being able to orgasm, um, mm. the more we worry about that, the more that anxiety creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we're most afraid of. Yeah. So practicing mindful presence in the moment, noticing what's going on inside of you, um, even being able to talk about it with your partner. Um, you can then anchor yourself in your five senses in the moment. That's a really nice mindfulness activity of being like, Mm, I feel these sheets. I feel my skin's partner or my partner's skin. Um, I, I 
smell their musty muskiness. I could smell that candle. Um, I see them, um, you know, going through all five of your senses that gets us out of our head and very present in the moment and very present with the, the sensations in the moment. And so that is, you know, just another way of applying mindfulness, but we need to know, oh, what pattern are we getting stuck down? Choose to choose and then choose to make, you know, a a different choice in that moment and realize that we can. Yeah. And I feel like that would make you a lot more present in, I guess, the sex as well, and just make it a much more enjoyable experience. Mm Because if you're not, it's so easy to get distracted um, when you're kind of being physically intimate with a partner. Yeah. I mean, to get distracted, to get caught in our heads, some people will fantasize. Depends on how much, you know, if you've been drinking, um, smoke a pot, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of things that can kind of pull us from the moment. Um, and not that there's not a time and place for all of that. And they, they can definitely enhance sexual encounters also. But in terms of like, you know, I just keep coming back to that, like, raw presence, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is can be really scary <laughs> in yeah. a sexual encounter. Yeah. Um, but to be able to stay present with that, and then to have the courage to, to show up in that way with someone else that also then can um, provide for, I mean, really, when people use the term lovemaking, mm-hmm. like, that's like, you are present, you are connected, you are attuned, um, you're moving together. Um like you're, you're, you're just very present and sensual with each other and connected in that way. Yeah, for sure. Not um, that there's not a time and place for quickies and such. <laughs> However, you know, whatever it's all good, about, yeah. but we are talking about the depth of intimacy. Here, of course. So. Yeah, of course. Um, are there any challenges people might face when trying to be mindful in this way? Well, yeah, I mean, and overall there's, um, I mean, if folks are dealing with um, some big traumas that they actually haven't worked through with like a psychologist or therapist, um, mindfulness is like, it could, it could trigger you. It could, it can, I mean, it could be dangerous if you don't have a support network with you Um, or if you're just going too fast um, into topics, Um, you could definitely get overwhelmed and and triggered, um, you know, PTSD topics, you know, experiences, things like that. So I would say, you know, if you're tackling bigger topics, work with a professional first and get some foundation and have processed some of that work and gain some maybe resilience and confidence around that. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's really hard to stay present in the moment and not be constantly distracted. <laughs> That's yeah. what our brains do. Yeah. You know, they call it the monkey mind and, you know, and our brains just constantly chatter at us. Um, there was a, um, a Harvard research study a few years ago, and, um, I think they had like alerts go off on people's phones and they had to write down what they were thinking of and, and keep the journals and all. And they found that almost half the time people's minds were wandering yep. throughout their day. Yep. Uh, my guess it's probably more than that. Uh, <laughs> but what they found is that the, the more that folks' minds were just sort of wandering on its own, uh, the less happy people were. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's our brains do. So, I mean, mindfulness is a practice where we are literally cultivating our prefrontal cortex and our executive functioning in the front of our brain that helps us make choices um, around difficult emotions and, and things that in the past that our brain would have just automatically reacted. And now we get to pause and we get to study that reaction as it's happening or as it's about to happen. 
And therefore we've created a little distance and we're observing it. And now we can do something different with it. But that is literally like training for a marathon or anything else. It's like a, a muscle. It's you need to build up the skill by a little bit every day, um, taking care of yourself and nurturing yourself in the process. Yeah, and sure. and then you can even feel like you're great at something and then all of a sudden you meet somebody new or you're in a new situation and you're like how the hell did I get triggered by that same yeah. thing yeah totally thought I was through that but yeah. it had you know a different angle to it or a different vibe or maybe you were well rested or maybe you hadn't eaten in a while and you're hangry like all of the you're particularly stressed you're you're a, you're PMSing you're about to get your period or you're going through perimenopause like all of these things, like, you know, we are, we got a lot of different physical factors to us as humans um, that, that impact how well we're able to be mindful and present. So um, all of it is, is difficult. There's lots of challenges. Uh, and like anything else, you know, you practice it, you gain some skills in it, and then you see the benefits. Like it, um, it really pays off in terms of, happiness and satisfaction in the long run. Now from daily battlefield to battlefield, it's inc can be incredibly uncomfortable because you're staying present with uncomfortable emotions and thoughts that you've been running from or numbing from or yeah. distracting or blaming your way through. And as we all do. And so it's really uncomfortable. So in a way it can almost feel like it reduces quality of life, you yeah. know, it from battle to battle, but like big picture. Cause when I work with clients around this and then, you know, six months later, someone will check in. They'll be like, Oh my God, I can't believe how easy this is now. Like yeah. I, I literally, but it was not. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, and I feel so empowered around it. And I feel, and, and my partner understands me better. And so it, it really works, but you gotta, you gotta practice it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How, how, how often should you practice it? Um, I mean, obviously you mentioned being able to employ it, you know, pretty much in any situation, but right. Where, where do you begin? Like how yeah, often I mean, should you kind of practice? I mean, and, and to me, mindfulness is an everyday thing, but just choose one thing. And so even, you know, I had mentioned hanging a, you know, a picture of the triangle up and folks can draw out their own ones. Um, or they can email me. I could send them something. Um, don't forget and the hanging up face. where you brush your, what's that? Don't forget the smiley face. If any, yes, up exactly. <laughs> Don't forget the smiley face. Yeah. Very big. <laughs> um, but like it, so we, anytime we are trying to create a new habit, it's helpful if we anchor it to something else that we already do. And okay. so like, and especially like brushing our teeth is something we often stand in one place. It's a physical activity. Um, and so to hang it right there, like on the mirror in front of you and then reflect for two minutes or something on, yeah, like I said before, what, what, when was the time that I shut down, that I avoided a topic, um, that I, I was scared to bring something up and didn't, that I lashed out at a coworker, mm -hmm. uh, whatever, something that felt reactive to you, yeah. um, that felt like a pattern. And then just pull apart those pieces. You don't even have to write it down in those moments, but start. Like if you just did that every night for one week for two minutes, you're already going to start noticing things in your day in some new ways. You're going to start to make it more salient. So, um, and then, um, and then you know, start applying it to interactions with loved ones, or catch yourself like the coworker that you're like, oh, I'm starting to feel irritated. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me take a few deep breaths. And then let me think, like, how am I interpreting this? Why is this irritating me? What emotions right. am I feeling? Where am I feeling that inside me? Can I breathe into this? 
Can I be kind to myself in the process? I mean, it's yeah. endless where we can use it, but just start in small ways. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, and then it, it does for folks that are meditators out there, even if, you know, you're using like an app like Headspace or something, just meditating for five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, that is training us in focus and presence in the moment. Right. And um, that's all tied to this. You know, you're, you're developing the same areas of the brain. So, mm. however, <laughs> you know, we may all know, I certainly do folks that meditate multiple hours a day, but like in their relationships, they're still kind of assholes. And so yeah. and I think, right, <laughs> yeah. because it's like, no, you, you need to apply it also. Yeah. You don't, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you escape the world. And while that's still hard to have the discipline and practice to sit and meditate for that long and you are absolutely developing skills, it is way harder to apply with other humans and moving yeah. through the world. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really putting it in action and showing up with kindness and compassion towards ourselves and towards others. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, just start, start small starts. I mean, there's tons of great books out on mindfulness. Like I said, the, the apps, um, all of that stuff are really great, small ways to start and then just start building. And you're going to start finding new places to apply it. You'll be like, Oh my gosh, it never even occurred to me. I can practice mindfulness at Thanksgiving dinner with my family or, you know, Christmas dinner or something like that, instead of like flying off the handle or having to drink four glasses of wine. Yeah. So yeah. For sure. And I feel like, um, you know, especially for like people who are really busy, which I feel like most people are, um, Mm -hmm. they having kind of a set time every night to do that work can be really helpful if you don't feel like, I mean, I'm assuming at the beginning, it's going to take a while for you to like analyze yourself in that way. So if you don't have that time. And I mean, just start wherever you are. Like there's truly no right or wrong. There's no perfect way to do it. Just start where you are. Um, or you spend a few minutes journaling every day at the end of every day on what yeah. you reflected on. And, you know, when, if, and when you do start using this with others in your life, like as you know, core to any, you know, any counselor or therapist or coach will say that, you know, using I statements, I should just clarify this as we're talking about using it in relationships. Don't yeah. be like, I feel shame. You made me feel shame. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep, you are yep, condescending yep. to me. You'd be like, all of it is, this is my interpretation of this. I'm feeling this. This is how it's showing up to me. This is the meaning it has for me. And that's hard. That's hard to separate that out when you're so sure that it's your partner's fault and they created all of that. But just remember that anyone else standing in your, anyone else who has different life experiences in that same situation is going to have a different reaction, Mm -hmm. you know, because we are all unique in that way and how we've been programmed up to this point. And so knowing it truly is uniquely your interpretation, your experience, your emotions, where they're showing up inside you and just being responsible with it in that way. Mm -hmm. How do you, how in your experience has this practice impacted relationships? Um, gosh, um, (laughs) I, yeah, I was like, gosh, I can think of so many examples. I mean, I, well, so I think about some clients that I work with who have anger problems, Mm -hmm. who um, maybe have kids and they lash out at their kids and then feel really bad about that. Or with their part, you know, they were raised in a household with a lot of anger and it's one way they feel powerful. And so, and then they fly off the partner, their handle with their partner. And then their partner not only doesn't feel emotionally safe around them, but also doesn't want to open up sexually to them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a, a really great one um, yeah. because they really like anger. You really get to study what's going on inside of you and where you feel it and how you feel building um, 
anger and frustration and annoyance and, um, and where you learned that Mm -hmm. and what it means to you. And so there's just a, um, you know, there's a lot to that one that's very visceral and that is huge when folks practice that. And when they come to their partner and they'd be like, I, I'm okay. I need to step away from this conversation right now uh, because I'm going to say something I regret and you don't deserve that. And so, because I can, I can, I can feel it growing in me. And so I'm going to step away. I'm going to come back in like 10 minutes. Uh, Let's pull out the triangle (laughs) and I'm going to talk through it. And so, I mean, that's, that's a, that's an amazing one, but I mean, folks, when they're able to talk about their deepest fears, their shames, their, their childhood traumas, and they're able to, um, you know, realize where they're blocking themselves. And then I'll often have them journal on it ahead of time so they can feel all of the discomfort and as if they're sharing it with somebody and breathe through it and then know like, Oh, right. I'm not, I'm not going to die. This feels awful, but I'm not going to die. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and being that attuned to our belief systems and our emotions and where we're feeling it inside of us, it feels, it takes this really abstract thing that just kind of happens to us. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we can break it apart in these almost tangible aspects, at least like what we're feeling inside of our bodies. And then therefore we can do something different with it. So, um, yeah, I mean, for overcoming sexual shame, um, and embarrassment, mindfulness is so profound because like the, the practice of the triangle is learning how to build comfort with discomfort. You've been avoiding this discomfort. Now you're choosing to stay with it. You're breathing through it. You're being kind to yourself. Um, and then that is, that is at the core of emotional resilience, uh, of not pushing something down or blocking from it, but really being with it. And then gaining uh, strength and confidence in ourselves that we can stay present with these uncomfortable sensations. So um, I feel like I could just keep going on for examples, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, my book is a lot about overcoming sexual shame for women raised like specifically in American society, but there's overlap in a lot of other societies and applying mindfulness skills. So um, yeah, so that's a, that's a pretty core one to my work, but it, it applies in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, would you recommend this practice to everyone? You touched on this a little earlier, but you know, would absolutely anyone be able to pick this up right away? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to say yes. I mean, I know there's, um, you know, we talked about, um, if, if folks have experienced a lot of trauma and haven't had the opportunity to process that yet. So that this may not be the starting point, but this definitely, there's other places they'd be able to use it though. You know, because they're still going to think we're all reactive around certain things that we want to do differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's there may not be the heaviest aspects of your life that you can apply this to, but you could in other areas of life and then feel start to feel empowered by that um, and start to feel proud of yourself and better about yourself. So there's that piece. Um, There is, you know, this thing, uh, you know, where I say, you know, we all mind chatter, chattering at us all the time. That's actually not totally true because there, I think there are some people who do not like their brains are different. They don't hear like a voice talking to them. Right. Uh, most folks do, but not everybody does. And it's just like, there's also folks that can't visualize. So if I was to be like, visualize the triangle to be like, mm, yeah. uh, so yeah, like, yeah. so we, we do have different capacities. And I think overall mindfulness and meditation is often just taught in one way, but actually our, our, you know, some folks' brains can do some things and some folks can't. 
And I think it is just um, almost a, like a thing from birth. I don't think anything happened. I'm just, I, I study these things sometimes because I'm like, I always use these things and like visualize this. And then I learned, I'm like, oh my God, some people can't visualize. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, what do you see? What do you feel? What is it? You know, anyway, so I mean, so those components of, but, but in general, this concept of pausing mm. and reflecting and being kind and realizing we can make new choices. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I, we're, we're humans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, sure. I think we can all do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I do really like the triangle though. I feel like I've never seen mindfulness kind of set out in oh, that way yay. before. It's always been like, you know, be present in your body. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm like, okay, I, I can know. feel my stomach in my body. Sure. <laughs> like, but what next? And, and now what do I do with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, which um, is why I like to refer to my work as applied mindfulness, because I think too often mindfulness can feel too separate from the rest of our lives. And mm -hmm. since I'm literally applying it to people's sex lives and body image and relationships and communication, that's why I was like, I'm very, you know, I'm a very practical person. So when I like theories and stuff like that, and that's great. Um, but I was like, okay, what do we, how does, how does this, how does this directly improve somebody's lives? How, yeah, what is the sure. skill that somebody can literally start putting into action now? Because right, we do all have busy lives. I mean, would it be amazing if everybody meditated for several times a day and did all these formal practices? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Most people will never do that. So, you know, I'm, I take a very practical approach of being like, no, there's still really valuable things in meditation and mindfulness that we can absolutely apply um, and, and to overcome our shame and stigma and miscommunication and emotional fears. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. yeah, for sure. I, I think that's that's really good because that's kind of what this podcast is all about. Like, yeah, we have the scientific backing, we have the theory, but how do you apply all of those long words and terms um, to right. real life <laughs> in a way that's actually usable? So yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. Um, in your experience, do you have any other kind of recommendations of a practice or a habit that can be employed alongside mindfulness I know you mentioned journaling earlier as well which yeah. is pretty interesting um let's see um so daily gratitude practices mm -hmm. are huge right there's so you know we know there's so much around the science of happiness and positive psychology mm -hmm. um just that that and and particularly when couples do that I love yeah. that like if I have a couple that comes in and they are not communicating and they're struggling with each other or they're working on something really hard in their relationship. Mm. Um, this is like the first exercise that I will give for them to do yeah. is, and, and to write down two to three things from their day that they're grateful for and make sure one of them has to do with their partner specifically. Right. Yeah. And so, and that it could be a strength, something they admire, something they appreciate. And then I always tell them like the, the power of a gratitude is in like the juiciness of the details of it. Right. You know, it's right. one thing to say, um, okay. Um, yeah, you look, you looked good today. And it's another thing to say, I know you've been exercising and like that outfit looks fantastic on you. And I love how that like blue compliments your eyes. Mm. And like, and I just like, you just carried yourself well in that. And I was like, I am so proud that I am your partner and you look amazing. Like that yeah. is, yeah, like, that's that feels definitely great. way better than you look good today for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I'm happy how you handled the, uh, you know, our kids, you know, when they wouldn't eat breakfast mm. and, you know, and then the details could be like, 
I am so impressed with the patience that you had and you stayed on it. You stayed on it with little Tommy and you were kind to him. And then you got creative and then he took three bites and that was amazing. And I'm so impressed by that. You know, like there's, it's the details of what it means to you and what it matters to you and why you're grateful for it, why you admire it, why you appreciate it, why, why it brought you joy. Um, that just feels amazing. And some people that's a, they have to learn that skill. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to learn, but you can absolutely, you might struggle with it. It's like learning a new language, but over time you can learn to articulate it in that way. Yeah. So that's a really great practice. The more couples do that, the more than they just start noticing things during the day that they appreciate and, and, um, randomly sharing those things and doing it with more detail. Um, another practice that I really love, uh, for couples specifically is what I call a melting hug. Mm-hmm. And it is taking just one minute when maybe you haven't seen each other in a while and doing a hug and where you synchronize your in-breath and your out-breath together. Mm-hmm. And like you were just, there's, you know, there's no phones, there's no distractions. Oftentimes people talk about how their dogs are trying to run between them and all, but yeah. or children are clamoring at them. So yeah. as much as you can for one minute, try not to have distractions <laughs> yeah. um, and hug your partner and synchronize your breathing and you feel yourself melting into each other. And that is like, you're, you're counting your breaths, you're present in the moment. Um, you know, ideally you're just focusing on that feeling of touching your partner and hugging them. Um, it's a beautiful applied physical mindfulness practice that also is really good for reducing stress. Um, I like to call it, um, I don't use the word sacred that much, but for me, you know, for couples, it could be like almost a a sacred regrouping after they haven't seen each other in a while of just being like, Hey, like we matter and, and, and we prioritize each other. And this is a really nice way just to like rejoin as a team. So for sure. Yeah. That does sound really lovely. Um, (laughs) Well, that kind of ends our practice segment. Um, sorry, it's called the mindfulness triangle. Am I right? Is that correct? Um, What's the I, official term again? I mean, I call it the triangle of awareness. The triangle um, of awareness, it, right? Yeah, it's. I, I adapted it from um, mindfulness-based stress reduction. It's an eight-week class, um, and apparently they're not using it anymore because I checked with them for permission, like before I was using it in my book, and then I've adapted it and kind of made it my own. Mm. Um, I don't know if they had the smiley face in the center or not, (laughs) Um, but smiley face is um, very important. (laughs) Totally. I can't remember if they had that or not. Um, But anyway, and they said they're not really using it. They're, they've moved on to like a square or something. I'm not sure. So, uh, but um, yeah, so it's uh, yeah. But like I said, um, or I don't know if you have show notes or something like that. I could even, you know, have a handout of it or something that folks could use. Or we like do have show notes. notes. So yeah, it would definitely okay. be helpful to put so those We might there. be able to include, yeah, that in some way, or folks can just email me and reach out. I'm happy. Or they can just draw their own from what they heard on here. So sure. uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, so I guess now we move on to our open mic segment. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is where you have the chance to talk about anything you're passionate about. And it could be linked to the topic, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, what did you want to just let loose on? Um, I wrote down like a list of ideas cause you had, you know, told me ahead of time. And so I wrote down, let me just read my list. And then <laughs> yeah, sure. sure, sure. So the first thing I wrote is, um, generational differences because I, I am obsessed as a sociologist in generational differences. Uh, between uh, around sex topics, pornography, mm-hmm. uh, emotional expression, um, 
expectations, communications, all sorts of stuff. So like I'm endlessly sort of comparing, um, you know, millennials to Gen Z to, to Gen X, all of it. So there's one topic. Um, another one I had is, is just any more about my new podcast of, of trying to feel sexy again at 48 and the, um, frankly, the vulnerability of sharing something just that personal. It's by far the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. It's so personal. Mm-hmm. Um, my third topic was beach volleyball because I love beach volleyball. <laughs> and I live in San Diego. I play beach volleyball like three days a week and I play like two person beach volleyball. So it's like, right. it's, a, it's a lot of running around. It's so yeah. much fun. I yeah. love the strategy of it. It's just great. Um, and then the last one I wrote is our crisis of vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, which is what I'm calling. And that's some part of the generational thing, too, that I do think because our younger generations, there's some research showing that they were some depending. I'm talking in the United States and certainly more middle class and above folks um, were more coddled by their parents and protected um, and, you know, don't go outside and play and having very structured lives and um and and then you put that on top of, um, you know, the rates of, and then uh, uh, social media and basically how it feels like we're constantly comparing ourselves to others and that like literally you can rate your worthiness or likability by how many people like you and comments yeah. on it, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. Zero healthy <laughs> aspects to that. Um, but then you put on top of it then pornography and that that is for most young folks, what they're going to see before they're having sexual activity, um, or at least it's going to be early on. And so the expectation of sex is very much as a performance with bodies that need to look perfect. And um, yeah, you put all those things together and the heightened rates of anxiety and depression we have. Um, I think uh, it's the reason why younger generations are having less sex. Millennials were having less sex before Gen Z are having less sex. And I think because sex is really vulnerable and when you could stay home and message people and connect or watch porn and masturbate, um, I think it's harder to want to be vulnerable and have the skills in doing that with other human beings. So, well, so that kind of covered the first topic and the last topic. (laughs) Well, I am really interested in that topic because I guess a lot of our audience are millennials, but I'm a younger millennial. I'm on that cusp of teen millennial and Gen Z. Um, So I feel like I experience the worst of both worlds when it comes Mm -hmm. to vulnerability and that kind of thing. Um, And yeah, that's definitely something that I've noticed is that like Gen Z, very, very open to sex not having it not having it as much so they're very well, like right open to the it. concept of it yeah. and tolerance and accepting and open-minded yeah. and trying sex toys and stuff like that but uh and which is great like the fact that there's greater acceptance around um all of that and masturbation and toys and pleasure that's fantastic but fundamentally as humans like right everything we've talked about tonight is about intimacy and this yeah. depth of what really is like you know, on their deathbeds, people don't regret that they didn't make more money or that they didn't work harder. They regret, mm. one of the biggest regrets is that they didn't have the courage to be vulnerable and authentic and prioritize the relationships that really matter. Yeah, That's what sure. we're talking about. We're talking about emotional intimacy for there. Sure. Yeah. You know, that is fundamentally what most fulfills us as humans mm. and what has the most meaning at the end of people's lives. Yeah. And to realize, right, as younger generations, that that's, scarier and it's harder and 
Yeah. And that's a resilience thing. You know, we, we need to be exposed to tough things, not things that cause like trauma and PTSD, but just difficulty and failure and struggling and even being picked on. Now, bullying is a different thing because that's chronic, but even being picked on and then how do you work through that and how do you talk to it? And I think just because of social media and phones and parenting styles, parents swoop in and take care of a lot of stuff. And then like in my generation, like we had to figure that shit out. Um, and again, like, I'm not saying bullying, like I'm definitely not, but otherwise, like we were always playing together with the neighborhood kids and random stuff and somebody's unhappy. We got to figure out how to make them happy and make them feel included because we need them for the basketball game. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, it's all these, it's all these skills that are really applicable to, um, being able to be comfortable with discomfort Mm -hmm. and staying present with it and then connecting with others in that way. So, um, yeah, so I, I call it a, crisis of vulnerability, which is funny because if you look at social media and you'd literally think it's the opposite, but it's still often performance. There's a lot of performance aspects to it. Hmm. So, um, not all of it, of course, there's some great stuff out there, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Tell me Uh, more about, go ahead. Sorry. I just, I'm so interested. Tell me more about like millennials and how they deal with vulnerability, because in my experience, all millennials Mm. are just very anxious because they don't know what's going to happen to them in the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so millennials, at least in my understanding of, and this is probably because of the internet, um, millennials is the first um, generation that was really just getting blamed for being different. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, yeah. right. And, which is, it is, it's bullshit. Um, yeah. And, but like every generation is different. Every generation is, is different in some really meaningful ways than the previous, you know, particularly two above them. But mm. we are, because of the internet and because of social media now and technology, our cultural changes and our generational differences, I think are getting more and more extreme, Mm -hmm. like literally wiring our brains differently, depending on how you're raised. So um, what do I think about millennials and vulnerability? Um, What do I think about, because I'm a Gen Xer. Well, Gen Xers and above aren't particularly good with vulnerability. (laughs) So I, yeah, yeah, no, because that was... It was, yeah, that was not taught. Um, Probably millennials maybe are better with it, frankly. Um, But I do think they carried an unfair weight of being blamed for all sorts of stuff. Um, And then they started blaming boomers and everyone else for stuff. (laughs) I was like, people, this is how it always is. I'm like... I feel and, like I'm getting um, to that point where yeah. I'm like, oh, kids these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> know. <laughs> That's so funny if you're saying it. That's yeah. awesome. No, but I think because the differences are so drastic. Yeah. Um, and because of, you know, what you're watching on TikTok or or Instagram, like, and it's like it's it's changing the the generational zeitgeist um at a much faster pace. Mm-hmm. Uh kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and in some ways it's great because there's a lot of much greater social awareness. We were talking about the tolerance, environmental awareness. However, <laughs> there's only one way to get wisdom, and that is time and experience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And what we yeah. need is, you know, what's always missing is sort of this mix of of youthful awareness and thinking outside the box and passion. Mm-hmm. But I wish we could have that in the in the in the 
brain of a 50 year old who's got a lot of life experience and wisdom and realized what works and what doesn't and why, yeah, your idea is great. And we've tried that a bunch of times and here's why it doesn't work. (laughs) And it's not that we're not listening to you and it's not that we've never tried it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting about millennials and vulnerability. I'd say they may be in the middle. Probably, probably not a bad place. Maybe they're the best at it. <laughs> you hear to hear. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, All right. It. Well, Dr. Jen, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Um, where can people fun. find you? Yeah, my main hub for everything is my my main website, which is drjensden.com. For actually, all folks have to do is go to Google and type in any version of however they want to spell Dr. Jen's Den, and you'll find me. Yeah. Um, and my yeah, so my main website, which then has my two TEDx talks, I have a powerful um, consent violation story and experience. Um, and that I had and how I handled that and how I um, made sense of it and analyzed it. Um, I've got my two podcasts, my new one there, my book is on there, my links to all, you know, if folks like me and my approach, please find me on Instagram, um, or Facebook or Twitter, probably Instagram is the one that mostly folks will follow me on and I'll engage with got tons of YouTube videos out there. Like there's a lot out there, but please, if you like my stuff, please, please follow, please share. Um, so we can have more conversations like this. For sure. For sure. I'm sure a lot of people will be rushing um, to look you up now as soon as the episode (laughs) is over. Uh, But yeah, thank you again so much for joining us today. Uh, My pleasure. The questions were great. And this was really, as you can tell from my passion and animation, I really enjoyed this. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad. (laughs) You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.